Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Well, today we are wrapping up our uh, series that we've called November. We started it in November. Uh, we're going to finish it here in December, all right? So K-N-O-W, November. I've been trying to answer the questions that, that you want to know based on your submissions. Uh, one of the big questions was about Israel. Uh, what's going on there now and what it might mean uh, as the prophecies are being fulfilled. And so we talked about the current events a little bit a few weeks ago in a message called We Stand with Israel. Um, and, and all of our messages are always out there on podcast and on, uh, on YouTube, lots of ways that you can go and, and uh, be a part of it. So if you want to go back and listen, you can. For the last couple of weeks, we've explored Israel and the prophetic timeline uh, and today we're going to kind of wrap that up. So this, today's the, the last of those messages and the last of the November series. Uh, if I had titled this message separately, like officially it's just part three of, of uh, Israel and the prophetic timeline. But if I titled it separately from the rest, I would have called this the final countdown. The final countdown. If you're a fan of 80s hair bands, you're welcome. Because that track's playing in your head right now, so... You just go ahead and just be, make it spiritual if you want to. Um, so we've talked about the rapture of the church, and we've talked about the tribulation. We've talked about the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, second coming of Christ, and, and we touched on a little bit of the battle of Armageddon last week. Uh, there's still more to come in this timeline, and we're going to do our best to, to, to cover it all today, at least hitting the highlights. But, but we are honestly in the home stretch before we arrive at our eternal state, okay? And we'll talk about what that looks like. So this is the final countdown towards eternity. So when Christ returns, his second coming, uh, he will win the battle of Armageddon all by himself. I don't know if you notice this, but God don't need no help. All right, so he will we'll be we'll be accompanying him, right? We'll get a front row seat for it, uh, but he's not going to need us to do nothing. He does all the fighting himself, and I want to show it to you in Revelation 19 and 21. Their entire the, the enemy army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. So, what comes out of the mouth of Jesus? It's the word of God, right? The sword of the spirit. Every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is the word of God. And we know that's the sword of the spirit. So Jesus is simply going to have to open his mouth and give the command. And this much hyped, largest army that's ever assembled in history, the battle of Armageddon will just be finished. It'll just be over. He, uh, these, talk about anticlimactic. Um, like the millions of soldiers who were, uh, who were surrounding Jerusalem who had ravaged and murdered uh, two-thirds of the Jewish people in that country already will just be food for the buzzards in just a second, all right? So, so that's, the, that's the battle of Armageddon. You're like, John, I thought there'd be more. Well, there's really just not that much to talk about. They all died. Jesus won. Everybody else lost. There you go. So uh, now I want to I press pause for a second. And you know what? That's true of 
uh, everything, every battle. Jesus won, everybody else lost, all right? So I want to press pause for a second on the timeline because I want to sort of set up the rest of this timeline thing. If you grew up in church like I did, you have probably accumulated some misunderstandings about, well, a lot of things, but uh, also about what eternity is going to look like. Um, it, it would be very common to hear somebody say something like this, and, and I'll see if, you, see if this sounds familiar. Now, don't shout, because I'm setting you up. I'm just telling you. So if y'all shout, that's all on you, okay? So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uh, unusual to hear somebody say, listen, when I close my eyes here, I'm going to wake up to see the pearly gates of heaven swing open wide. Don't shout. I'm going to get my wings. I'm going to walk down the streets of gold to find my mansion in the corner of glory. And when I see Jesus, he's going to wipe away all my tears, and we're going to live forever in heaven with Jesus, just worshiping around his throne. Don't shout. Have you all heard that kind of declaration before? All right. Here's the problem. Almost none of that is biblically accurate. Okay, you are going to die. Now that part's right. <laughs> but all the other stuff after that, almost none of that's true. And, and I'm going to show it to you today. So don't think I'm just preaching heresy today. I'm going to show it to you in your Bible. Uh, some of that is based on poor translation. Okay, some of it was just confusion about where and when certain things take place. Some of it, I think, was actually Eric Clapton somewhere around 1992. All right. I'm referencing some good music today, so anyway, all right. Uh, so we've all believed things that weren't quite accurate, okay? So don't, nobody get offended, don't get, don't get your feelings hurt. And the good news is, none of this stuff's going to affect anybody's eternity. It's going to happen the way God said it's going to happen, whether we're confused or not, okay? But I thought you might want to know what God's plans and timeline looks like, even if they are contrary to maybe some of the stuff we have learned in church. So let's try to untangle some of this stuff, all right? And, and, and this is probably as good a place as any to say this. Uh, as, as I've been preparing for this series, uh, I've used, I've leaned on a website called Got Questions. I don't know if it's .org or .com, but Got Questions. It pops up really quick in a Google search, uh, and, and they are a really good reference, at, at least for this particular topic. Now, they don't particularly like Pentecostals, but other than that, they're generally pretty solid, Okay. Uh, you eat the chicken and spit out the bones, okay? That's what you do. Let's look at John, thir- John 14, okay? John 14, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. Um, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the key verse. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. All right, so we'll start here. There's two words in that verse, in that second verse, um, that are kind of the key. The word house and the word mansions. The word house, the word mansions. The verse says, in my father's house. The word that's translated as, uh, y'all remember a few weeks ago, I said the Bible was not written in English. So Jesus was not speaking English when he said this. The word house or mansion never came out of the mouth of Jesus. Y'all all right? Okay. So the word that was translated as house simply means the place where the Father lives. It's just an abode, if you will. All right? It also refers to the place where the family gathers. Because no matter where it is, if, if, if daddy's there, it's home. 
You could have shouted there, but that's all right. All right, the word translated mansion is only used two places in the whole Bible. It's a very, it's a very specific Greek word. It's only two places in the Bible, and both those places are in this conversation that John's having, uh, that Jesus is having in John 14. Uh, here's the other place. And this word, this word is not translated mansions. So Jesus answered and said, if a man loves me, he'll keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. It's the same word that was translated mansions. Now, does it make sense that Jesus and the father are going to come and build a mansion inside of you? Say no. Okay, good. Of course not. And why would there be a bunch of mansions inside the Father's house anyway? All right? The word doesn't literally mean like a 26-room, circle driveway, jacuzzi, chandelier kind of place. All right? It simply means he's got a place for us to dwell, a residence for us. He has a place for us. So when you put it together, it doesn't mean architectural masterpieces Here's how the verse should probably read. Where the Father lives, there's plenty of room for the whole family to live together in his presence. That's probably a more more accurate way to translate the verse. See, sometimes we see things from an earthly perspective. We think of carnal things like a big house as a reward. But the real reward is being in the presence of God with our brothers and sisters. All right? That's the gift. That's the gift. Now, so, so, John, should we just never talk about, sing about mansions? We sang about mansions today, all right? I sang it enthusiastically, all right? You do that with the understanding of what you're singing, all right? You can call it whatever you want to, but it's a place for us to hang out with Jesus, all right? It's okay. As long as you have the understanding, it's fine. Like, y'all do know that the wise men that you see in the nativity scenes were not at the manger, Right? Do we need to go and crush all the nativity scenes? No. As long as you have the knowledge and the understanding of what it represents, everything's fine. I do that in good conscience. Everything's cool. Okay? Everybody all right? You need to check the pulse of the person next to you. You okay? All right. So when we get to heaven after the rapture, so no mansions. Don't cancel your subscription to heaven. You'll still enjoy it, I promise you. So when we get to heaven, after the rapture, there won't just be rows and rows of mansions. There certainly won't be pearly gates or streets of gold because those are not in heaven. I'll show you where they are in just a few minutes. And you don't get angel wings. Would y'all just calm down about the wings? You don't get angel wings. I, I can't even show you a scripture. Like nowhere in the Bible does it say, oh, yeah, and you don't get no angel wings neither. All right, that's not in there. Um, because the Bible doesn't even suggest that humans ever become angels when they die. They're two distinct different creations, all right? God did not call your granny home because he needed one more angel. God don't run out of stuff. I mean, he didn't just like, dang, Gabriel, like, go get one of them humans and make them an angel. I just ran out. Forgot. And although the movie It's a Wonderful Life teaches us otherwise, um, there's no indication when a bell rings or not that any of us ever, ever have or will ever need angel wings, okay? Are y'all okay? Y'all going to leave the church today? Y'all going to leave mad? All right, so once the Battle of Armageddon is over, um, Jesus sets about the business of setting up 
his government. Y'all remember, the, we, we talk about it at Christmas all the time. The government shall be upon his shoulders. This is what he's setting up now. Remember, he's already physically in Jerusalem. He showed up at the second coming to, uh, to defend Jerusalem. Uh, so he's already there, and that's going to be the seat of his government. He's going to rule from the throne of David, as prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And we talked about that last week, that we are going to rule and reign with him. But here's that, it begs the question, who are we ruling and reigning over? Like each other? We're just going to take turns sitting on the throne? There will still be people alive at the end of the tribulation. The enemy army is going to be destroyed. Like they're not vaporized, but they're, they're done. And then there'll be billions of people through the tribulation that died of disease or war or pestilence or, or famine or because they were martyred for their faith in Jesus or the judgment of God being poured out on, on the earth at that time. So there'll be tons and tons of people who die, but there will still be people who, who, who live. And those folks will then appear before the Lord. This is Matthew 25, and we'll see it in a second. They'll appear before the Lord in what's called the judgment of the nations or the, or the separating of the sheep and the goats. All right? So we call it a judgment of the nations, but the word nation is not referring to a political entity. It's the word ethnos, which is where we get ethnic or ethnicity. It's simply referring to all people from all over the world, people from all the nations will gather and stand before Jesus. We quote this in a lot of different contexts, but I want you to see it in its literal context from Jesus. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 36. But when the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. So that's second coming stuff right there, all right? All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand, the goats at his left. Here's what determines whether you're a sheep or a goat. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Y'all remember, y'all remember this scripture? We, we quote it a lot. This is the literal application, the literal fulfillment of that. That's when Jesus is going to say those things. Those who stepped up to help the Jews, because he said, my brothers and sisters, that's the Jewish people. Those who stepped up to help the Jews during that time, those who refused the mark of the beast and lived to tell about it, those, th- those people will be set aside as sheep. Those who refused to help, those who persecuted or killed the Jews, those who follow the beast and the false prophet, they get set aside as goats. The sheep will enter into the kingdom. He didn't say into heaven, right? He said into the kingdom, and the goats are cast into hell. And, and, and that's who the people are, of the sheep, over whom we will rule and reign. Now, at that point, the millennial reign of Jesus begins. He's going to bind Satan and throw him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then the people of earth will enjoy a very different kind of experience than we've experienced. It appears that the earth will revert back to a condition not exactly like, but much more like it was in the Garden of Eden. I've always heard that peace reigns to such a degree that the lion will lay down with the lamb. Anybody ever heard that? I've sung it. I don't know how many songs talk about that. Uh, I found out last week. (laughs) That's not even in the Bible. I'm going to read that to you. Are y'all okay like you lost mansions and now you're losing lions too? Um, Isaiah 11, 
6 through 9, in that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lay down with the baby goat. The, listen, I, you, don't, you didn't say aw. When you say baby goat, normal human beings should go aw. All right. The calf, that's no, too late now. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. There's the lion. And the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lay down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. I assume they don't say moo, they still say rar or whatever, but just, somehow it's just less intimidating now. Um, the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy uh, in, in all my holy mountain. As the waters fill the earth, uh, as fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Can you imagine a kid walking in your house with a cobra in each hand? Mommy, look. <laughs> the devil's still alive. Um, so, no, he might be in the bottomless pit, but he's still alive. Um, no more carnivorous or venomous animals. All harmless vegetarians. All right? Yeah, I'm not mad about it, right? No, it's okay. They don't want to eat you anymore. Yay. So, they'll reproduce, they'll, and the people will, will, will continue to live and die on the earth. They'll reproduce, they'll grow the population of the earth, but they will only know Christ as the one and true king. At the end of the thousand years, um, Satan will be released from the bottomless pit. He'll try to gather up one last little group of rebels to take one last run at God. Who in the world is he going to be able to find that joins his cause after living with Jesus as the king? You'd be surprised, right? The seed of rebellion is still going to be in the sin nature of human beings being born. And he will convince some of them foolishly to join him. Jesus not even going to let them, I mean, it's not even going to be hardly a rebellion. He's going to crush it. He's going to do away with Satan once and for all. I'll show it to you in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery burnt lake of burning fire, joining the beast and the, pro, the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And it seems like a good place to say amen, right? I don't know about you, I want a front row seat for that, all right? I want to see that. So immediately the scene shifts to what's called, and by immediately, I mean in the course of the scripture, we go from there to the next verse in verse 11, and I'll read it to you in a second. But the scene shifts to what's called the great white throne judgment. Those who did not get resurrected in the rapture because they had rejected Christ or those who died in the tribulation without surrendering to Christ um, will now get brought back to stand before the Lord. As far as I can tell, everyone who stands before God at this judgment is lost. I want to read it to you, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the earth and the sky fled from his presence but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead. I'm, uh, yeah, I saw the dead, both great and small. You, you, you may have heard it called the quick and the dead. I saw the dead, great and small, uh, standing before God's throne. The books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up their dead. And death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. 
this lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The pastor in me wants to try to make this better for you. I want to offer you some hope and some light. But this moment will be as heavy and as horrible as it appears to be. I don't see anything in scripture that would indicate that anyone who faces God's judgment at the great white throne uh, will ever escape. It will be a horrible eternity for them. And I have a horrifying question to ask. Where will we be when this is going on? Where are we going to be during the great white throne judgment? What will it be like to watch the most horrifying trial in human history? To see people that we knew on the earth sentenced to eternal damnation. You say, John, but it, it won't, I don't know where we'll be, but if we see it, if we witness it, it won't be painful for us because there's no tears in heaven. The Bible doesn't say that about heaven. That's a different time, and I'm going to show it to you in just a few minutes. I remember my pastor, Ron Brooks, teaching this to our church uh, when I was a teenager in the church that Valerie and I met in. And it has always stuck with me. Quite honestly, I've tried to, I've tried to disprove him over the years, and I haven't been able to. Do you think maybe God will have to wipe away all our tears? Not because of the pain that we've endured and experienced in our lives on the earth. Because Paul said, that's, they're just light and momentary compared to the glory that awaits us. I don't think that's what's going to be bothering us at that point in history. I think it's going to be the pain of witnessing this judgment. So my fear in sharing this prophetic timeline is that it just, it all sounds so incredible, right? It just, it almost, it almost seems like fiction. But it's not. It's real life. It's real life. This is where the trajectory of human history has always been headed. This is the inevitable conclusion of the story where sin was interjected into perfection. God, who is love and is mercy has to bring this chapter of human history to a close because he's not just love, he's also just. The wages of sin is death and it's separation from God. And that's the ulti- this is its ultimate conclusion. But then, thank God, the story pivots. The story pivots in the next verse, Revelation 21 and verse 1. And John said this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Listen, you remember when Jesus would say things like, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away? You remember that? He was not kidding. That was not a metaphor. He was literally, heaven and earth are going to be renovated by fire because they have been violated by sin. You're like, now, John, I've been on the earth. I get the whole, the whole earth thing, but heaven? Satan was in heaven. He visits the throne room fairly regularly to accuse me and you of the things that we've done, the sinful things that we've done to try to convince God to pour out his judgment against us. So all of that has to be wiped away. 
and the physical curse of sin has to be eliminated once and for all. So how is that going to happen? Like, what does that even look like? Where are we going to go? Where are we hanging out while earth and heaven are being renovated? And what happens to the humans that are still alive? Here's my my best answer for you is, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I tell you this, God's got it. He's got it figured out. All right? He said... I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you're going to be. I don't know where we're going to be, but we're going to be with him. Okay? So, so then the cool stuff starts to happen. All right? Now, we're reading this straight from the Bible, so feel free to shout when you feel like it. All right? Revelation 21, 2, and 3. This is the next verse. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. And he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. Listen, heaven and earth have now been made new. It's new. And a brand new city is coming down from from God in the newly renovated heaven. It's called New Jerusalem. And we're going to talk more about it in a second. But, but do you not realize how important Israel is to God from this? He's not bringing down new London. He's not bringing down new Rome, new Babylon, new Atlanta, for goodness sake. He's not. It's new Jerusalem, right? You all remember the Christmas song, Handel's Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever This is where he's going to be reigning forever and ever in New Jerusalem. And the people who occupy this city, those people are his true and complete bride. Remember I told you that we're representing the whole whole bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now the whole bride is coming together and forever we'll dwell with the groom in and around New Jerusalem. But let me show you you something before we talk about the city. Revelation 21 and verse 4. Look at this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. It's been at least 1,007 years since the rapture of the church when this happens. Okay? It's the only reference in the Bible that shows God wiping away tears. It does say in Revelation 7, there's a reference to the, the saints who come out of the tribulation that he will wipe their tears. But it doesn't say he was doing it in that moment. Just that he was going to. This, in verse 4 of of chapter 21 of Revelation, this is the fulfillment of his promise to wipe away our tears. Not in heaven, it's in our eternal home, New Jerusalem. Okay? No more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. These things, that verse says, these things are, present tense, gone forever. So from that moment forward, all of those things are gone. All gone. So, now, let's look at the city. I don't care how well-traveled you are, you have never seen anything like this. All right? It's transparent, y'all. It's clear. The walls, the streets, they're transparent. All right? It's no wonder it's going to sparkle and shine. It's no wonder everybody's standing around going, would you look at that? Besides the fact that it's 1,400 miles square. But it's huge. uh, What about the streets of gold and the walls of Jasper? Just calm down. Let's look at it. All right, Revelation 21, verse 10. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain 
and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and it sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. Let's look at verse 18. Verses 18 through 19. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on the foundation stones, inlaid with 12 precious stones. And then it goes and names all of those stones. And then look at verse 21. The, The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. That was a heck of an oyster, I'm just telling you. Um, The main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And its city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations will walk in its light, and the kings of this world will enter the city in all their glory. Not the glory of the kings, the glory of the city. And, and uh, the gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will ever be allowed to enter there, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Amen. So there's your pearly gates. There's the transparent walls of jasper and the transparent streets of gold. Not in heaven, in New Jerusalem. Hey, listen, you should, go, you should go home after church. You should read the whole chapter if you haven't already. There are incredible little details. If you're a jewelry person, if you're a decorating person, if you're an architectural kind of person, a building person, incredible little touches that are going to be in this city that are just, it's just going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. Now, look at this, and, and we're almost done. Revelation 22, this is the next, the next verses. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it flowed uh, down the the center of the main street. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Listen, our eternal state will not be drifting around on clouds. It's not going to be playing harps. It's not even going to be standing around the throne forever. We're going to be busy. This city is bustling with activity. It says that we will be ruling and reigning. And so apparently that means there will be humans still alive on earth. But since the curse is broken, it would appear that these humans won't have to experience death the way it was intended to be from the beginning. Eternity is going to be amazing. Eternity is going to be amazing. Like it should have been 
from the beginning. And I promise you this thing, it's not going to be boring. Even if you don't get a 26-room mansion with a jacuzzi and Rolls Royce, it won't be boring and you will not be disappointed. Why? Because what makes heaven, heaven is Jesus. So wherever he is, you will be completely satisfied with your experience. I promise you. Let's look at Hebrews 11. We're going to wrap this thing up. Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God promised him, that's the land of Israel, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. I told you a few weeks ago as we started all this about Israel, that we are connected to Israel, uh, not through Moses, not through the law, because that's been fulfilled in Christ. We're connected to Israel through Abraham. When we see that city coming down, whose builder and maker is God, I want to try to position myself around Abraham so I can see his face. Because it's been 4,000 years. 4,000 years that he's been waiting. And, And you know what? He's still waiting. He still hasn't seen it. Even though he's been in heaven with Jesus since the resurrection, he's still looking for a city. What we've all been looking for, for all these thousands of years, will finally be manifested in that one glorious moment as we all together see the new Jerusalem, that city coming down from heaven. And I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Listen, I know I may have uh, busted some myths and some misunderstandings for you today. And I promise you this, you're going to love what he's got in store for you. John and the other writers, the, the prophets, did their best to take what they saw and try to put it into words. Um, my guess is the reality will pale in comparison when we, when we get there. So the final countdown is on. It's on. So what do you do? What do you do? Because I don't want you to think this is just This is just information, just knowledge for you to tote around. What are you supposed to do? So let me leave you with the words of Jesus in Revelation 22. This is the next two verses from where we just left off. The angel said to me, everything you've seen and heard is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. And here's the words of Jesus. It's written in red in the Bible. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Listen, y'all, Jesus is coming soon. How do you obey the words of Revelation? How do you obey the words of other prophetic writings? Do you need to memorize the timeline? Like, is there going to be a test? Do you need to learn every little nuance of every prophecy? 
I was talking with a friend before church, and she said, listen, I love what you're doing, but every answer you give gives me 12 more questions. And I get that, and we can chase that rabbit forever. Do you have to chase it to the end before you're actually being obedient to Christ? Do you need to try to figure out who the Antichrist is? And Listen, I'd say no. I don't think that's what obedience to this word looks like. Jesus didn't say memorize the prophecy. He said obey. Well, how do you obey? You get ready, and then you get busy. You get ready, and you get busy. You have to make sure you're saved. I mean really saved. That you have a real relationship with Jesus that actually means something to you. I'm not talking about you checked off a box when you were eight and you prayed a prayer and you cried a couple tears and you feel better now that you got that prayer out of the way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a relationship with a person of Jesus. That you're growing in love and you're growing in grace with Jesus. Not not in fault finding and hypocrisy like the Pharisees. You have to get ready to meet the Lord for yourself. And then you have to get busy with what he told us to do. That's the Great Commission. Sharing the gospel and doing ministry. That's Ephesians 4, right? Works of service. Not just telling it, showing it, being it. Because they're not going to hear what you say until they see who you are. Did y'all hear me? It's not about going and beating people over the head and saying, my preacher preached about prophecy and you're going to go to hell if you don't. Stop. They're not going to hear it until they see it. They're not going to see it until they see it in you. You say, but John, we might have to watch people who we know are going to be condemned. I want them to be saved right now. I get that. So do I. But that's not how that works. You can't just go make somebody get saved. They have a choice to make for themselves. And this is a spiritual function. They have to be drawn by the Holy Spirit. They have to have their mind open to even be able to understand spiritual things. You can't just go beat it into them or beg them or cry. That's not how that works. They have to make the choice for themselves. And it's not going to change just because you're motivated, just because you're desperate to see them. You have to be Jesus before they're going to see Jesus. And that's the fastest way to the gospel for them. You live it in front of them. You pray that their eyes are open. That's Ephesians 1. They open the eyes of their hearts. And then you be there to talk to them when they're ready to talk. There's lots and lots of things we simply don't have time to discuss. But these last three weeks have laid out the prophetic timeline for you. And it shows you how Israel is right in the middle of all of it. So feel free to study it on your own. Feel free to talk about it. Learn what you want to learn. Just make sure that it's supported by the Word, okay? Don't just go down a rabbit hole. Make sure it's lined up by what the Word actually says. But don't forget, it's not about accumulating knowledge and feeling smart. It's about getting ready. The mission has not changed. You're saved to serve, right? You're blessed to be a blessing. And you're called to reconcile sinners to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And don't miss the point of eternity. It's living in the love and the light of Jesus. Serving Him and loving Him forever. Experiencing the life that He's always intended for us to have. We get a taste of it. 
We get, he says we're made to sit together in heavenly places. We get a taste of it when we actually engage our souls in worship and in prayer. But it's like, Paul said it's like seeing through a tinted window. But on that day, we will see him face to face for eternity. What a day that'll be. Y'all stand with me. So we're going to pray together. As we always do, we're going to pray together. And I I want you to feel free to come to this altar. I'm going to just lead us in a prayer and then they're going to sing one last song and, and we're going to be dismissed together in just a minute but I want you to take the next three or four minutes or however long this is and I just want you to reflect on what we've talked about in the last few weeks and, I, and, and more than anything you might have just walked in this morning you might not even wanted to come you're like I don't even know why I'm here you're here because you needed to hear this word this morning okay all of us did and so I want you to just take a moment and check on your, your spiritual condition. Just check on your relationship with the Lord. I don't, I don't want you terrified that you're going to hell. I just want you to, I just want you to check in with the Lord. Paul said we need, to, we need to check on ourselves. Make sure we're still in the faith. Make sure we're still following. Make sure there's no sin in our lives. So repent and make things right with God and people. Okay? Make sure you're ready. But also make sure that your heart is towards Him and towards His work. That every morning it's not just about the checklist of things that you've got to accomplish. It's about another opportunity to be Christ for somebody. And then if you've got anything else going on in your life, whatever else is happening, you've got a decision to make, you've got a, you've got a sickness in your body, you've got a, a, a whatever it is, a financial need, whatever the deal is, you're always welcome to come and pray. Okay? Let's do that now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Hebrews says that you, that you are a God who, who is moved by the feeling of our infirmities and that you, uh, that you have experienced life on this earth and you understand us because you've been here. And Lord, I pray that as we approach the throne of grace that we can receive mercy and grace because you give it liberally and generously to those who come humbly before you. So, Lord, in whatever situation we find ourselves this morning, I pray that you would help us to receive your mercy and your grace, your love. And I pray that we be drawn into right relationship with you. Lord, help us to be ready and get busy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.